Hello and welcome to another edition of the Media and Marketing Podcast. My name is John Reynolds, the host of the podcast which features interviews with industry leaders. Today I've got another great guest. I am delighted to be joined by Douglas McCabe, who is the Chief Executive and Director of Publishing and Technology Enders Analysis. Uh, so we're going to chat through some of the current media stories and also some of the current and future trends. Fantastic. Thanks a million for joining me, Douglas. As with all my guests, can you just tell, tell me where we are today for this podcast and also a potted history of your career today, please? Thanks, John. And thanks very much for having, having me on. So uh, right now, you and I are sitting in the, in the roof almost uh, of a townhouse in Great Marlborough Street. Yeah. Um, where Enders Analysis is based, uh, so we're a, we're a group of about twenty five people in this in in this building, uh, and the roof is where we have the uh, right in the attic, if you like, is where we have the uh, where we have the boardroom uh, for the business, and uh, where all the great decisions get made about uh, about about the analytics of Enders. How long have you been with Enders and for now? So I've been here for nearly ten years. Okay, right, okay, so I'm going to, my first question is maybe slightly self-indulgent, uh, it's about my own profession, and will journalists be around in the future, and that might sound, or will we be taken over by bots, I don't mean to be flippant, but I've read increasingly a number of articles, I read that uh, Associated Press has now a, a news automation editor, and the Washington Post has used bots, which use artificial intelligence to create articles, so should I fear for my own profession? <laughs> Um, I think you're, you're right to ask the question and you're right to ask or, or right to be fearful about the economics of, of news provision, I think, as a whole and generally speaking. However, I have, I'm, I'm a natural optimist. and I think news, um, uh, news is becoming more important in people's lives and the role of journalists is becoming mm -hmm. more important uh, than ever. And I think the golden, you know, you know basic principles of journalism about Curiosity, brilliant desk research skills, brilliant with brilliant people skills, brilliant at interviewing people, and so on, are all critical things that bots can't do very well in, okay. in, in practice. Now, it's true that certain kinds of journalism yeah. can, of course, be done by bots. Yeah. It's the very simplistic stuff. It's the writing up of the most basic company results, for example, yeah. that kind of thing. Uh, if I was, if if my job was 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 you know being a publisher. I'd be looking at ways of, of creating efficiencies in that sort of way. But I would also expect journalists to do a very, very specific kind of role that no bots are going to be able to do for the foreseeable future. They can't do shorthand, for instance. <laughs> or maybe they will in the future. Anyway, okay. So let's drill down specifically with, um, let's talk first national newspapers. Uh, last week, Rupert Murdoch, executive chairman of News Corp, who's speaking at the News Corp AGM, was asked whether the company planned to buy more newspapers, to which he replied, no, our hands are pretty full making our, our existing papers viable. But I think he did point out that the Wall Street Journal, the Times and the Telegraph, which is Australian paper, were performing well. Now, I guess why this is interesting, obviously it's not news that newspapers are struggling, but Rupert Murdoch, someone who's always invested heavily in papers, sometimes it appeared more because of a, a lover of newspapers than any economic rationale. So if he isn't going to buy papers, um, who is going to be buying papers? There'll be few and far between, will there, I guess? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think there is no doubt that the physical newspaper has, uh, uh, has a, has a, has a timescale. Now, whether it's five years ahead, ten years ahead, perhaps it's even twenty years ahead, but, you know, it's not going to be around forever. And the exam question that publishers need to be wrestling with mm. is how to make the, if you like, again, the economics of supplying news in digital form mm. something that adds up, something that makes something that makes sense. So, so I do see a future where 
specifically answering the print question first, I see a world where um, uh, lower frequency, maybe two or three times a week, newspapers becoming more normal. So, so oh, titles really? that only publish Friday, Saturday, Sunday, that kind of thing. That, that, that I think will become certainly uh, certainly could become uh, uh, an experiment within within a relatively near time frame within five years. For, for, you for could see one of the national papers now in, in the near future trying that. Then could you maybe potentially potentially. I'm not saying they're going to, and I'm no. not saying I know of any plans or anything of that nature. Um, and you know, it will always be in the interest of publishers to do this at the last possible minute because. Uh, they either have printing presses, or they're or they're or they're involved in quite complex and expensive contracts to print to print products. Print also brings enormous amounts of advertising income in in, mm. in, in uh, relative terms. So there's lots of upsides to print. Not least, I think it creates a completely different kind of consumer experience. And sure. this is so obvious, and yet we've sort of stopped talking about it in yeah. a curious sort of way. That you know the great thing about print of course, is that the consumer, the reader, jumps around from piece to piece to piece and takes in so much more information than they do if they're on a staccato smartphone yes. experience of going from one news article to, to the next news article to the next news article as dictated by uh, mm. the, 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 the publisher's linear format. It's good to stumble on, it's a way of stumbling on articles too, isn't it? When you, read, when you read a printed thing, otherwise if you're just looking at a homepage, you might not see those articles again. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, what, and the big crisis in digital is, is also really simple, which is that, look, you know, everyone has become obsessed with trying to achieve scale. Yeah. This was never a, a model that was even vaguely in people's minds in print. Mm. Okay, so if if scale was all that mattered in print, then everyone everyone would have turned their model into metro, you know, years sure. or decades ago. Yeah. They didn't do that, not just because it wasn't economically viable, which is the the, 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 the kind of obvious glib answer to that, but but also because it wasn't an wasn't an appropriate and effective model. Mm. Journalism is also about targeting. Um, mm. uh, and, and, and publishing is about targeting mm. and quality news providers in particular it's a, I hate that expression but you know mm. what I mean the top yeah. end of the sure. market um, uh, news providers in particular chasing scale is understandable mm. but it is never going to be an entirely of itself and on its own viable model okay. there is always going to be a need okay. at some point to engage with the difficult question of do readers ultimately have to pay for okay. this, as they have always done for centuries. Okay, let's look at some of those models. And just going back to the original question, you see it's highly unlikely that someone in the UK would uh, buy or, or launch a, a national paper, newspaper now, then, unless you get someone like a Jeff Bezos, Amazon sort of type individual. Yeah, I, guess. I, I wouldn't ultimately rule out a, a, a billionaire buying yeah. any, any newspaper. And I think you know they're still very you know valuable kind of assets. If you want access to British um, parliamentarians mm -hmm. and all those kind of questions, mm -hmm. then newspapers will always be a, an exciting asset for someone. So I wouldn't rule that out at all. I think I think you know would a rational business person. Mm. You know, be launching a newspaper, a national newspaper into the UK marketplace on purely kind of widget-based business grounds, mm. if you know what I mean. Then I think that's a that's a very unlikely um, uh, outcome. But you know, let's not forget there is also a very simple reason for that, which is that we have absolutely no plurality kind of issues at all in this country. We have mm. ten national newspapers. Mm. It's mm. a pretty rich environment. Yeah, for sure. Okay. Okay. So let's. You mentioned some of the models there. Let's. 
There was a, a recent interview with David Pemsel, who's the chief executive of the Guardian Media Group, uh, in the Drum uh, magazine, where he extolled the virtues of the uh, the Guardian's membership schemes. Uh, got, well, a membership scheme where basically members are entitled to certain benefits. I think they get ad-free content, visits to the newsroom, talks, things like that. So he said membership had jumped from seventy-five thousand to three hundred thousand in a year. And the Guardian has also had success with people making donations to the paper. They make, you see the make appeals at the end of articles. So, I mean, this has helped them stem losses. I think they're on course, correct me if I'm wrong about this, Douglas, but maybe to break even by 2019. Um, will that type of, I don't, obviously all papers have some sort of loyalty scheme, but this idea of um, users actually paying for articles, will that work, does that work specifically for The Guardian or will that not work for all national newspapers too? Well, I think that there's there's a point here about there's a point here about language um, at one level, which is you know paywall versus membership versus subscription. Yeah. There's lots of different terms that people use, um, and the biggest issue is the difference between something that is black and white, i.e., either this product is entirely free to everyone, or it's only free to people who are prepared to pay money every month, yeah. every week, or every day, or however the model is designed. Um, and I think the truth is that almost certainly the correct model is obviously somewhere in the middle. It's okay. somewhere between those two extremes. Yeah. Um, when you think of the old world, the print world, yeah. um, consumers, people like you and me walking into a branch of W.H. Smith, are absolutely free to pick up any newspaper we like and flick through it. In other yeah. words, publishers completely understand the concept of merchandising. Yeah. And that has to continue in the digital world while also adopting a model that tries to reach out to a core audience, yeah. a core audience, okay. and asks them to engage more deeply with the product. And that's, that's the essence of, 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 of what these models, these successful models are about. And I think one way to think about, uh, think about The Guardian is not so much that it has gone from you know, something like half a million people who bought the physical paper at its peak, I don't mm. actually know what the peak circulation was, yeah. but something around that yeah. probably, um, to the whatever hundred million plus people who who, who view it view it online. That's that's just an extraordinary case of of millions and millions of people who look at it for a split second and barely know that they've looked at the Guardian. Mm. Um, but there are probably somewhere in the region. My estimate would be two to three million people who mm. really will engage with the Guardian sure. and, and who are deep users of the Guardian and spend half an hour a day, maybe even an hour a day on the Guardian, and. That's the core audience, and that's what the model has to be completely focused on. What are the what are those users' needs? Mm. Uh, what are they? What are their expectations? What kind of service are they, are they okay. expecting? So, if you look at all these national titles, they're all various. Well, including Evening Standard, which is free. So, there's no um, definitive model, and is there, whichever works best for each paper. There's not one that's going to come through, which is the obvious model, which they're all going to eventually. Back then, you're going to have meter pay paywalls, you're going to have hard paywalls, and you're going to have free distribution. And I guess are you? Feel? Yeah, I think I think that's right. And I think the evening standard is obviously is a is a is a unique case, um, not least because if you think of the distribution model of the evening standard, uh, what's extraordinary is the paper gets effectively done. I know it gets dumped in all sorts of places. Yeah. It goes out to Cambridge and all the rest mm. of it, but it gets dumped really in 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 you know central London zones one and two tube stations, and then the consumer, the reader, 
carries the paper home. The reader becomes the distributor of the paper. Yes. It's a very clever model. It's, yeah. it's, and, and it only works, of course, if you're after Moonstruck evening, uh, evening title. Um, but the standard has worked for all sorts of reasons. It's improved its quality when it went free. It mm. actually invested in journalism when it went free. That All those things make a mm. big difference to, to how that product was perceived, I think. Okay, so obviously newspapers, national and local papers, see Facebook and Google as the enemy. Accusation is that they are third-party players who are basically repackaging and um, monetizing their content, Google in search and Facebook in social. And um, news providers are also likely to be further rang above the news. But Facebook is experimenting with um, moving news providers' content from the main news feed. Um, so all, all these news providers think that Facebook should be seen as a media and not a tech company and take responsibility for its content. And... Um, I think recently news providers of um, I'm about national newspaper national news titles have called on the government to curb activities um, on um, social media websites. So, I mean, more broadly, do you think there should be government intervention? I think Karen Bradley has talked about um, Google and Facebook should be asked to pay for measures and re raise awareness about things like online bullying and other web dangers. Yeah, I think there's 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 <laughs> there's, there's a, a number, there's a number because... of different different questions uh, in there, and I think. One of the first things to say is it is quite easy to think of Google and Facebook as somehow doing the same thing and somehow being the same model. They're not. They're completely different yeah. models. They're completely different. Um, they have completely different relationships with how content moves around the web, how we consume it. They have completely different relationships with uh, news organisations and and you know what news is for. But look, it's quite clear that Google and Facebook themselves do not have huge commercial challenges. Mm -hmm. The challenges that they're going to face over the next few years are undoubtedly, undeniably political mm. um, and regulatory. They recognize that, and that's why they're, they're, they are so, if you like, actively engaging in discussions with people such as news publishers, which mm. play such an important uh, role in all of this. Um, Google in particular, I think, has made moves in recent times to um, you know, work as closely as it can with publishers mm. and develop models. This is, you know, if you think of particularly the first click change that they, they made, mm -hmm. um, um, that is a very rare example of, you know, a giant technology firm recognizing that it had to effectively change aspects of its product yes. in order to satisfy what it was news publishers were trying to achieve. You know, it was an example where the publishers were not given the simplistic answer of, well, that's how the product works. Okay. You know, they were given something much more um, constructive and helpful. I think as a as a as a solution. I think that's the start of um, the start of a much more positive um, uh, relationship. And look, this is this is also complicated for another reason, which is that if you're new, if you're in the news publishing industry mm -hmm. and you are deeply frustrated by everything that Google is doing, you're deeply frustrated by the way um, Facebook behaves. You do have to ask yourself a quite an important exam question, which is, do all of your problems go away if for some perverse weird reason that none of us can foresee, Google and Facebook just disappear? They mm. go up in a flash, they just mm. they, they vanish. Do, do news publishers wake up and everything's fine? Mm. I don't think that's no. true. I think the, the changes that have taken place by connecting consumers, in other words, the internet, Digital connections, smartphones, all of all of the, all of that infrastructure isn't actually all caused by Google and Facebook per se. Yeah. It is all an infrastructure that's already there. Okay. And I think so so the problems don't go away. 
Um, your question about, you know, do I expect intervention? Should there be intervention? Mm -hmm. I think there's going to be more and more engagement. Not just, this isn't just a question for UK, the UK government. Clearly, it's a question in Brussels. It's a question in Germany. Uh, and it's a question in Washington. Um, Google and Facebook are going to be involved in more and more conversations. There is no doubt, uh, 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 no, no doubt whatsoever about that. It is probably in everyone's interest to avoid... Um, uh, too much new regulation itself okay. being introduced. Yeah. But at some point, it is perfectly plausible that it will be agreed that something will be introduced that helps everyone. And just Facebook should be uh, viewed as a, a media company and not a tech company responsible for its content. Then. I think. I think in the end that, that you know, describing either of these businesses purely mm. as tech tech companies. Mm. is obviously quite extreme. On the other hand, uh, describing Facebook as an out-and-out content company, uh, as a media company, mm. when I think legitimately it, could, it can and does defend itself by saying, well, what is it exactly do we commission? What exactly do we, um, what exactly do we build? Who do we employ? Um, it is, it is largely user-generated content and links to other content yeah. uh, that, we are, that, we are, um, that we are distributing. I'm not saying I sit on the fence. I'm trying to make a point that maybe there's a definition that has to sit somewhere in between okay. yes. that, that actually could really help uh, the, the, the sort of framework for thinking about things like regulation. Mm. If we think about, you know, you know, a digital world is just different from the world that all the regulation and all the definitions were defined for. Mm. They were defined for a pre-digital age. Sure. And in this yes. age, it might be that we actually need new definitions. And with those new definitions, we can start to understand the framework and understand the kinds of regulations yes. that might work. That's interesting. I've not heard that before. Thank you. Just briefly, we didn't really talk about local newspapers. Um, it's been doom and gloom for so long. Is there any, is there any rays of light? I mean, the BBC made a, I think it was an eight million pound uh, investment funding on local reporters, whereby the council and court reporting, where local newspaper groups can use it. Is there, um, is there any rays of light or not? Or are we just going to see more closures? <laughs> um, I mean, I suppose the first thing to, to frame the answer. It, um, it is the area of, if you like, uh, uh, democratic purpose of journalism that worries me most, if mm. you know what I mean. I, I think you know, erosion in local news is a greater problem than anything else I can see. It is genuinely an even greater problem than, 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 than the erosion of national news coverage. Um, because of course it does create and generate literal gaps in the in the in the marketplace as, as newspapers retreat, online services retreat, um, we will we will we will start to find kind of genuine gaps in the market, which is which is seriously problematic. Yes, I think solutions like the BBC should should be welcome. I think should be welcomed. I don't think they. I mean, it's not like they solve everything, but they are they are a helpful mm. step in the right direction. Uh, I also attended a Google dinner just last week, which um, uh, which also brought together uh, some some uh, key executives on, on on Google's news side with okay. local journalists, senior um, not journalists, sorry, um, um, one or two journalists, but, but but really proprietors and and senior management from 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 local publishing firms. 
and it was a pretty robust debate, actually. I mean, it was it was it was it, it was a welcome debate for one thing, but secondly, uh, uh, no one was kind of holding back in their in their views about the nature of the issues that they faced. Um, I think what you know, a, a bit like my, my my comments earlier about Google and Facebook for national news providers generally, it is also true that for local publishers, they need to think very seriously about. What is the kind of really all-important question? What is going to make a difference in reality? Mm. And I, I, you know, my own view is I'd be, I'd be, I'd be pretty ambitious if I was a local publisher. I'd be aiming, I'd be aiming for uh, a Google to help build um, a truly interactive platform yeah. for both my readers yeah. and also my advertisers. And I'd be thinking. Would I be better at building this, or would be Google better at building this? Mm. And I'd be thinking, can I can I encourage and motivate Google to build this, not just for me, publisher X, but for for publishers generally? Um, and so a kind of proper kind of partnership. It's a huge, huge leap of faith, of course, because publishers. There's two leaps of faith, I suppose. On the one hand, it's it's publishers would need to collaborate to get anywhere near that sort of solution. Mm. But secondly. Uh, they would need to properly partner with a tech giant, and both of those leaps of faith are, are you know, probably feel a bit alien, I think, to, yeah. to, 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 to some publishers generally. But I think it's genuinely worth thinking about, because yeah. I think it could make a huge, huge difference to the economics of supply. You've got me intrigued about this dinner last week. Can I ask who organised that? Was that, that's, that seems quite intriguing. The, the fact that you had Google and these local publishers sat together, was that...? It was Google hosting. Oh, uh, really? Yeah. Okay, that is all right. Okay, that is interesting. Okay, just briefly on the the pure play digital players. There's a report recently. Uh, Mashable is getting sold to Ziff Davis for a fraction of what it was valued at, and there's also a report about BuzzFeed and Vice Media could miss their revenue mm. targets. Is the um, obviously there's a halo. There's been a halo around some of these companies for some time, but they're um, seem to um, having a bit of a reality check at the moment. I think partly down to. Um, Things like programmatic ad buying has driven down the price of ads. Is that, I mean, if you look in the UK, you've got, uh, well, these global brands, you've got Huffington Post, Business Insider, and BuzzFeed. Can, can they all survive and prosper in this market, you think? Well, I think they're, they're facing the challenges that, that, um, that traditional news publishers have, have faced, you know, throughout the digital era, which is they're coming to terms with the fact that... Um, Truly, content models are not scalable models in the way that tech, uh, in the way that the tech industry talks about them. Yeah. And they're not scalable for the very simple reason that they involve people, and they involve real people who are, you know, who really report on stories. They go out and find the story, and they write about it, and they post mm. it, and you know, and so on. You you can't make a completely scalable model out of that. It's 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 never that simple, and it's never that. Um, um, you know, seamless, if you like. And so as a result, what they're experiencing, which is what everyone else has been experiencing for years, is there is a natural ceiling yeah. um, to uh, the kind of cost that they can build, yeah. you know, the number of journalists they can take on and so on, um, in relation to the amount of advertising revenue that they can, they can realistically bring in. And, and you, as you rightly say, programmatic is becoming a, has mm. become an absolute nightmare for, for all the content um, businesses. Um, because it because it has a lowest common denominator effect. Price keeps going keeps going down, and the very point of publishing in the past was that you were a premium environment. Mm. That's why chasing scale. That's another reason why chasing scale kind of gets you nowhere. 
because really what you're doing is devaluing everything you do all the time. Okay. So, so that's, that's what they're experiencing. But don't get me wrong, there's lots of interesting stuff going on out there. You know, BuzzFeed and HuffPo. Um, Business Insider, yeah. Yeah, and Business Insider are all doing it. You know, Janine Gibson, Alex Spence, Paul. I mean, there's lots of wonderful kind of journalists out there. There's lots of really interesting content out there. Mm. They do, in addition to everything I said, they do have some reputational kind of challenges. You know, BuzzFeed has a, has its whole kind of listicles heritage and so on. Yeah. But you know, it's you can't just switch that off. They, you know, reader, readers are aware of that. They're also increasingly aware that there's good quality stuff coming through through the system as well. But it's 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 a mm. all I'm saying is it's quite complex. Okay. Will they all survive? Probably, I think. Um, uh, is it challenging for new entrants? Increasingly. Okay. Okay. Let's. Um, we talked a lot about um, print and digital. Let's switch to TV and let's talk about Rupert Murdoch again. Um, now, there's obviously been various. There seems to be reports every day uh, about 21st Century Fox, a parent company of um, Fox Film Studios and Fox News. Um, parts of it could be up for sale. I think there's talk. You'll know more about this than me. There was recent talk between Disney and Fox. Uh, I don't really want to go specifically into that, but it'd be good to get your opinion on the Fox's proposed takeover. Uh, of Sky for 1.7 billion, so that's we're currently being investigated by the Competition and Markets Authority. Amid fears that um, Murdoch Empire, which obviously includes the Southern Times, could be too powerful, and there was also uh, recently, I guess, a, a threat they from Sky, which said if the de- deal didn't go through, then that Sky News could um, be shut down. So, I mean, what do you think? Um, what do you think is likely to happen? And, and did the culture secretary do the culture secretary do the right thing by referring it to the uh, Competition and Markets Authority? Yeah, I think. I, th- I mean, she's certainly done, from her point of view, the safe thing. She's probably done the right thing. Um, I think, um, in the end, the kind of the real exam question here is: if it goes ahead, mm. uh, is it uh, is it a healthy, positive outcome? for UK media, that's what we really care about, of course, are there risks attached to it? And, and of course, we've been here before, yeah, right? I mean, sure. seven years ago, this, this whole process uh, was, 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 of course, in motion. And, and there were a whole variety of concerns, and, and you know, and lo and behold, the, the phone hacking scandal blew up and, and the whole thing moved into a kind of slightly different sort of um, discussion. But... Um, the big risk at, that was perceived at that time was that, in effect, Sky and what was then News International, the publishing um, yes. business, could converge, and somehow, you know, news provision yeah. would would become this kind of converged bundle, hugely overpowering, outpowering all the other players in the market. And that, I think, was a very understandable risk. But that yeah. threat, of course, has, has retreated. Yeah. And it's retreated for a structural reason, first of all, which is that, in fact, the company that was News Corp has yeah. split yeah. into two. Sure. Um, but it's also retreated for another very practical reason, which is, which is that, you know, <laughs> I would find it very unlikely that Sky would be in any way encouraged to make that kind of relationship kind of really work. They can see that the newspaper side of the business is is under an awful lot of pressure mm. uh, and sky has its own um, has its own battles and so on that it needs to uh, that it needs to fight it doesn't want to complicate things further I think so I so, so so my overall view I think is that is that the risks associated with 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 um, this um, uh, uh, propo- proposed acquisition 
is is much smaller than it was in the past. Yeah. Um, uh, uh, and and furthermore, I mean, it was a kind of curious the the almost kind of the almost kind of blackmail announcement about closing down Sky News. Kind of, clearly, a kind of kind of the wrong thing to say, tactically a very odd thing to say. Mm. But actually, I would t- have a slightly different take on it, which is that I think the acquisition would would guarantee the sustainability of, of Sky News in a way that perhaps yeah. a, 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 a different outcome or another outcome uh, might not. Uh, and, and in a sense, a lot of what the discussions are about are making sure that that sustainability of Sky News is something that is secured, it seems to me. What do you think will happen then? Do you think it will go through eventually? Uh, I think, uh, guessing this is a mug's game really, but I, 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 um, I think it is... I think it is probably going to happen, but I do think it's uh, I, I do think it's still you know hard to call. Mm. Probably. And, do, and if it doesn't go through, do you think they'll follow through on that threat then of closing Sky News? Or that would be. That, I mean, that employs a lot of journalists, doesn't it? Hundreds of journalists, I would have thought. Yeah, I, I, I seem that, that seems to be the outcome to me. Okay. Um, slightly changing tact. I'm going to ask you about. Um, TV advertising. I don't know if this is your area of expertise. Obviously, we've been deluged with Christmas ads, uh, John Lewis, Marks and Spencers, um, which would suggest that the t- the big TV advertising campaign is in rude health. Which is, you know, in the past you've heard about speculation that it could be on its way out with younger, you know, people wanting to watch uh, watching um, um, ads on on mobiles and things like that. I mean, do you think the the, the the TV ad, do you think it still has its place in marketing campaigns, and it, you know, it's still uh, still important to brands? Yeah, I think the TV the, the, the TV campaign is still alive and kicking. Um, I think TV does something different from other media. It certainly does something different from digital, or the vast majority, the vast vast majority of digital media, which is that it really is about brand. It's about sure. the emotional connection. Of a product or service with with uh, with with households and end consumers and so on, and I think you know that's not what digital advertising tends to be about. Yeah. Um, and even print advertising is only halfway between between those two um, those two very different kind of formats of direct response and brand. So I think so. Okay. I, think, I think TV advertising is alive and kicking. I think the interesting question is, as digital grows and grows and grows, both mm. in terms of consumption time and indeed advertising spend. Will we see uh, a rapid or slow erosion of TV advertising over over time? And mm. you know, in other words, will TV experience what the press has gone through? I think it won't, but I think it will go through a much slower, much slower version of it. Yeah. And so we will see some some erosion, some decline in TV advertising over the next few years. I'm talking about all other things being equal in terms of the economy and so on. So, okay. so I'm moving all the kind of cyclical kind of question out of out of the, out of that picture. But all things considered, and all other things being equal, TV advertising will will erode a little bit. But I'm talking about low single digit percentage decline. I'm not talking about the real pain that. Um, uh, that, 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 that the press has experienced, and also the other part of the question people often ask is, you know, if if, if people are spending more and more time on things like Netflix and so on, do mm-hmm. you just get used to a world without adverts? Yes. And uh, what that question forgets in the UK is that a third of all TV viewing has always been on the BBC. Mm. It still is today, mm. and and so. 
you know, we're you know, as, a, as, a, as a culture, as a country, we've always watched an enormous amount of television mm. without, uh, without any advertising. So there's nothing new, nothing new yes. in this. Okay. Um, and, um, and I don't see any reason for that, uh, for the growth of Netflix to have any impact whatsoever. Okay. I'm going to, we're rapidly running out of time, and I know you've, you've heroically got through this because you've been under the weather. So I'm just going to ask you one quick question about um, Amazon, Twitter, and Facebook potentially bidding for Premier League rights. I don't know, will that happen at one time? I always want to go to these things. Journalists always ask this question, and um, I think Amazon recently got the rights to the US Open tennis. So will the, the Premier League, that seems a, the next thing, is it? Or? Yeah, I think, I, so. It, <laughs> there's a risk of me. There's a risk of me saying, you know, there's no way it will happen. <laughs> uh, and then, of course, the next thing we find out is that uh, uh, I don't know. Either Facebook or Twitter are all over it. And uh, how, <laughs> foolish do, how foolish do I look? I still think it seems unlikely to me. Why do you say and that? the reason I think it seems unlikely is uh, is to do with the sheer size of the check. Yeah, right. Sure. It's expensive. We're talking about seriously expensive stuff. Yes. If you look at the last um, the last auction, um, it worked out at something close to ten million pounds a match. Yeah. Ten million pounds a match doesn't feel like the world that Facebook or Twitter want to kind of play in. That 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 feels like a serious challenge. I and mean, don't forget that that money I'm talking about, that amount of money I'm talking about, doesn't even include. You know what would be involved in other countries' rights. That yeah, would, that's the UK, right? Sure. It doesn't even include programming that you might want to include yeah. around the actual match, and it doesn't even include the cost to you as the company, the producer, to get out there and get the match. Okay. So, so we're, you know, it's, it, this is not something that I think these these platforms will do as an experiment. Because it's an extraordinarily expensive experiment. Okay, that's the word, so we don't think it's going to happen. Right, that is fantastic. Thanks a million. I know you've been under weather, but it's greatly appreciated. And um, uh, thanks again, and I will see you next week. Thanks, John. Okay. Thanks.